Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Hello, Light Church. Uh, My name is Randy Remington, and I come from Portland, Oregon, where I'm very glad to be here in the sunshine. Um, We have had such a wet, gray spring and winter, so um, it's so nice to be here, but it's really obviously more than the weather. It's really a joy to get to be with you. Um, I really have prayed for quite some time now consistently for Light Church, for this community. Um, You are a lighthouse church. You have embodied the love and the life of Jesus in such an authentic way. You are a faithful presence and a prophetic witness of Jesus in this community and really beyond. So thank you for your faithfulness to the gospel. Thank you for your commitment to being disciples of Jesus. Um, I really love your pastors, uh, Benji and Jen. They are the real deal. They're who they appear to be. Um, Some people you get up close and you know them a little bit more unscripted and behind the scenes. And sometimes people are different in private than they are public. But what I love about your pastors is what you know them to be publicly is truly who they are privately. Um, the sincerity of their faith, their devotion to Jesus, their, their love and commitment to one another. But when you talk with them as your pastors, um, what comes out very quickly is their love for Jesus, um, their love for you, the flock in which they have been called to serve and lay down their lives for, um, and really just their uh, commitment to this city, this community. Um, to put deep roots down and to be not a hireling, to be a faithful shepherd. So I love your pastors, um, love this community. It's a joy to get to be with you. So I'm going to ask you if you'd open your Bible to the book of Genesis. We're going to read in two spots. Genesis is an easy book to find if you're becoming familiar with your Bible, Um, maybe newly acquainted with this life of following Jesus, and our Bible is central to that. And so Genesis is the first book of the Bible. We're going to read in Genesis 25, and then we're going to read in Genesis 32. But I'm actually going to quote two other passages of Genesis that will set the stage for the primary story we want to read this morning, because there is a word in the Bible that is prominent. Um, it's a word that, that really is, it's like a thread once you see it, you, 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 you're aware of it, you begin to see it literally throughout the scripture, even in the, the first real public sermons of Jesus, um, his teachings, uh, what does it mean to be the church and a disciple of Jesus? But this word goes all the way back to the beginning, not just um, the beginning of God forming a people, but the beginning of humanity. And in Genesis chapter 1, We are given an account of creation, Um, the the human story, our origins, um, when the first humans were regenerated or, or generated spiritually, brought to life spiritually. And the first human identified is a man named Adam, and then the woman named Eve. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now listen to this. And God blessed them. And then God said to them. I want to look at this word bless. Blessing. Blessed. What is that 
really mean and what does that mean in your life and what does that mean in the context of which we live and interface and have relationships and, um, and live our lives. But I want you to see something from the very beginning of the human story. I want you to see that God creates, he forms in his image these, these people, these humans, and then his very first act towards them after creating them was to bless them. God creates and then he blesses. He blesses the people that he creates. Now, this isn't an important distinction because it's going to run through the scriptures that we're going to read today. But if you could imagine this, in the, the book of Genesis, it says that God formed Adam and he was this like a shell of a, of a human just laying there, lifeless. Had all the forms, he, the appearance of a, of a human, but no life source. And it says, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. He became alive. And that's a very intimate picture in the, the Hebrew language that Genesis was originally written in. It's the imagery of like something, of, of, it's face to face, two faces coming together. It's like God giving, you know, divine CPR to, to somebody to bring life forth in them. But it's God putting his face on the face of Adam and breathing into his nostrils and the impartation of life. And Adam awakened. He awakened spiritually. He became a living soul, the scripture says. And the very first spiritually generated person on this planet, the very first thing they saw was the face of God. God breathing into their, his nostrils, the breath of life, and he awakens in the very first thing the first human being that's generated spiritually sees is the face of God. And it's like from the very beginning, God is saying, if you will look to me, if you'll seek my face, you'll know who you are. You'll know why you were created. You'll know what your life is to be all about. This is where you will live. This is where you will thrive. And we know the story. Satan comes in as a deceiver into God's perfect creation and he seeks to get mankind to turn their face away from the face of God. To take away and seek identity and to seek meaning and fulfillment more horizontally instead of vertically. Instead of seeking the face of God, I will seek that in other things. And that's where death comes into the story. That's where dysfunction and brokenness and wickedness and violence and pain enters into the story. And from the very beginning, we've been called to be people of repentance and repentance is, hey, you've turned your face away from God, turn your face back to God again. Because that's the place that we are going to experience the blessing. God created us to be in relationship to him and in relationship to him, we would know who we are and that we would fulfill our created purpose. That, that, in the essence, that's what it means to be blessed, that you have been given an identity, and out of that identity flows a mission, flows a purpose. God created them, God blessed them, and then God said to them, here's what I want you to partner with me in creation. This is what I want you to do. And so before there was sin, before there was brokenness, before there was violence and suffering, there was blessing. Our story with God does not begin with sin and a fall. Our story with God 
begins with blessing. And blessing is something that originates with God. It's God's most, kind of like if you can say it this way, most ancient instinct. It's, it's his first and foremost reflex. That, that It's like his default. And I mean, obviously, God's not going to bless disobedience and, and greed or laziness, but, but we posture ourselves for blessing. And I want to talk about that. But I want you to see that God, at his most basic ancient instinct towards humans is that he blesses us. It's, a, it's almost like you could say the earliest human memory of interaction with our maker, our creator, is the issue of blessing. God created, and then God blessed. If you were to ask Adam, what is your earliest memory of who God is and your earliest memory with God? And he would basically say, it's one of blessing. God blessing me. And so he breathed into him, and that blessing sets the tone. It kind of like sets the table. It kind of like sets everything emotionally as a baseline, the spiritual trend line for Adam's entire existence. I mean, later, obviously, when Adam turns his face from God, dysfunction and pain comes into the story. But is it possible that if blessing is our earliest memory, then it would stand a reason that we could say that blessing could be our deepest longing. The deepest longing of every human is who am I? Where, where do I define myself? Why am I here? What is this life really all about? And so we come out of the womb seeking someone to bless us, seeking somebody who will tell us who we are, tell us why we're here. And so at its essence, to be blessed by God is to know who you are and what you've been created for. The reality is then sin comes into the story. Violence, murder, Cain kills Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. There's a murder uh, in the family. Um, wickedness kind of becomes prevalent in all of humanity um, to the point where God has to send a flood in judgment because the inclination of the human heart was wicked continually. Um, and then it culminates with just the people of the earth coming together to build a tower. In Genesis 11, it's called the Tower of Babel, and they're going to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. They're like pride in their human condition and self against God. And God has to send them scattered in judgment. And so from Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve turn from God and disobey God and sin comes into the story, to Genesis 11, it's just one record of sin and violence and judgment. And against that backdrop, God initiates a conversation with somebody named Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, I want you to go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you, and I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Against this backdrop, God's last word is not judgment. Um, sin and judgment are not the final word with God. Blessing is. So before Adam even knew God, or Abram even knew who God was, God initiates a relationship with him and makes a covenant with him, makes a promise to him that I'm going to bless you. Out of you 
will flow a blessing that ultimately will be to your children, your children's children, your children's children's children, even to us this very day. And so there's this idea of blessing that kind of permeates this early story of Genesis. And there's two distinct things that are present within this idea of blessing. The first is it's a declaration of a status. There's favor there. There's this, I've chosen you. You belong to me. Um, There's a sense of identity that's formed there. Um, Adam and Eve didn't do anything to obtain that blessing. God conferred that upon them. And a blessing is something you receive. It's not something you achieve. It's something you receive. Um, It's not something you do. It's something God does for you and to you. But the second part of this is the blessing then has this power endowed within it to allow you to prosper and be successful in who God created you to be. Because out of who he created you to be was a sense of destiny, something he determined that your life would be about. So essentially, a blessing is that God gives power to something or somebody to do that which they are designed or intended to do. So, so if we could reduce it to that kind of a simple definition, and that blessing then kind of becomes a guide, it becomes a motivation to pursue a course of life within that blessing. And so you live within the blessing. You live with, within it from it. Um, you're posturing yourself to receive it. Theologians call this the great God promise. It's, it's kind of what drives Genesis. And so there's a tension that comes into the story where we're going to pick it up. And the tension is this. So Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, and they're called the patriarchs. And then Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel and, and so forth. And the patriarchs have this challenge, and it's really the same that's the challenge for you and I. What do you do when the blessing seems at risk? What do you do when the blessing seems threatened? when the promise seems threatened. There's a tension there with the patriarchs. For Abraham, for for Isaac, for Jacob, they're all going to come to these crisis points. What do you do when you feel like what God has said about me and what I'm to do seems at risk? Will you take matters into your own hands or will you trust God? That's the same challenge for you and I. Will I take matters into my own hands or am I going to trust God with who he made me to be and what he called me to do. And I want to look at one of these patriarchs just real quickly and simply, and that's the story of Jacob. And I'm going to give you kind of an overview to finish at one particular place. And Jacob has kind of a crazy story because Abraham was given a promise, your, your offspring will be blessed through you. They were old in their years when they got that promise and they had no children. Miraculously, they had late in life, like older, late, late, late in life, a child. They named him Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah got married and imagine now this blessing is going to go from generation and he's probably told his wife Rebecca about this blessing and now they can't have kids and so they go decades and they can't have children and so they inquire of the Lord and they pray and they seek God and God opens the womb of Rebecca and she becomes pregnant this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 25 verse 19 This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. 
The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. Literally in the Hebrew, it means like they were crushing her on the inside. And she said, why is this happening to me? And so she inquired of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. Now listen to this. And the older will serve the younger. So before these twins are even born, God inverted the normal process of the blessing being passed down. The oldest would always the one that would get the blessing. And the youngest, um, in this case, would subvert that and would be the one who would get. This was like God's prophetic promise. Like God foreordained that this, but while they were in the womb, God says, this is the way it will be. So this is a tough pregnancy that God tells her, listen, you think this is tough? This is just the beginning. All this going on inside of you now, um, this fighting going on, this is going to characterize their life. And to this day, one of these sons is going to be the father of the Arab nations that we know today, and the other is going to be the, the line of Israel. So to this day, the Jewish people and the Arab people, there's conflict to this day, and that started all the way back in the womb. And then in verse 24, it says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, and the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. It's like, honey, we just gave birth to an orangutan. You know, look, look at this red little hairy thing. And they named him Esau, which literally means hairy. That's just literally. It's a hairy baby. They named him Harry. So it named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So imagine this. The first child comes out of the womb and right on the heels of it, literally a hand comes reaching out, grabbing at the foot of the brother that was just birthed. So a hand shoots out, grabbing at the heel. So they name the second child Jacob, which literally means heel catcher or heel grabber. It would go on to become a name that would mean like supplanting or deception or, but it's like you're tripping somebody up or like pulling someone down to pull yourself up. You're, you're grasping at something. And so literally these two boys were named um, for very specific things. One was named for how he looked and the other was named for how he behaved. So isn't that true? This is how the world identifies us. This is what you look like. This is who you are. This is what you've done. We freeze frame you and your behavior. That defines you now. That's really who you are. That there's something very powerful about naming that happens throughout scriptures. You know, in the scripture, uh, names were significant. They, in, in this culture, in this time, but in the whole biblical narrative, because names had a way of setting your destiny, so to speak. They kind of shaped the course of your life and establish the direction of your life. And so Jacob grows up and he's hearing about God's blessing to his grandfather and then how it would be passed from his father down to his sons. And so Jacob heard about the miraculous birth of his father, Isaac, and now his own mom got pregnant with them and, and this blessing's going to be passed down. And this was like the blessing of all blessings. This was like significant and there were major stakes involved with this blessing. And so the trouble is Jacob felt like he lost the blessing at birth. Like from day one, the 
two strikes were against him. So he came out of the womb angry and he came out of the womb frustrated. Um, life isn't going to turn out the way I, I think it should and believe it should. And so everybody's kind of like Jacob. We kind of come out of the womb asking, how do I get blessed? Um, who's going to bless me? Who's going to set my identity, my life, my relationships, my world at peace? That's kind of the question of Jacob. And so our stories are oftentimes a struggle of our journey of trying to find who's going to bless us. Um, our preoccupation with Enneagram or our preoccupation with DNA testing, you know, where did I come from? Who am I? Um, speaks to this deep thing in all of us, this longing like, who am I? What's my name? What's my life all about? And so in the womb, little fetal Jacob looked at his brother and it's kind of like, man, he's closer to the exit than I am. He's going to get out first and he's going to be the firstborn. That means he's going to be the heir to the promise. He's going to be dad's favorite. He's going to get the blessing. He's going to get the birthright. And I'm not, I'll always be number two. He'll always be number one. And so as his identity took form even early as he grew, his identity became this. I'm not Esau. I'm not Esau. He spent his life in competition with his brother, in comparison to his brother. As his dad was dying years later, he would trick his dad into making him think that he, Jacob was his brother Esau. To the point his dad asked him with his limited eyesight and his old age, and he said, who are you? And he said, I'm Esau. Bless me. I want to tell you this, that it's true from the biblical story, but it's true in all of our stories. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. God can only bless who you truly are. There's a trap the enemy wants us all to be in. It's the trap of comparison and it's the trap of somehow I'm in competition with somebody else because they're different than me and the root of all discontent in comparison is somehow I'm not confident or I'm not really secure in who God made me to be. And the surest way to fail is to try to change the unchangeable. It's, it's, it's really trying to be a cheap imitation of somebody else rather than an authentic version of ourselves. And one of the things that's foundational to our lives in Jesus is that we rejoice in our maker, God who made us fearfully and wonderfully, which allows us then to live free from resentment towards God. And it allows us to even bless others in their advantages or bless others in their uniqueness, bless others in the way that God has defined and shaped their lives. But Jacob's story is one of just this lifelong quest to live out literally his name at birth. He's somebody who's constantly grasping, grabbing, trying to make happen. He's striving in his own strength, in his own effort. I've got to make it. Nobody's looking out for me. If I don't do it, nobody will. And so he goes through a series of events even tricks his future father-in-law, even as he prospers materially, he's still somebody who runs and he's still somebody who's not um, at rest. He's somebody who's driven. And we come to this climactic moment in the life of Jacob. And it's in chapter 32 is where we'll finish if you want to turn there. Because now years later, after Jacob stole the blessing from his brother by tricking the dad to pray for him and lay hands on him, 
His brother, when he found out, said, I will kill him. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? Isn't he doing just like he is named, grasping at, trying to make this happen himself? And so years later, Jacob has now prospered with his family and his flocks and his herd. And he hears his brothers coming with men, kind of like a mini army coming his way. And Jacob was more of the business guy in the house. His brother was a man of the field, a hunter. And now red hairy guy's coming. And the last he knew of his brother is his brother said he was going to kill him. And listen to this. We'll finish with this. That night, Genesis 32, 22, that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. And so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, this is an unusual story because this is a story where somehow God appears in a human form. And in the middle of the night when Jacob is all alone, the the idea in the language here is he's just sitting there alone in the dark and he's like, he's, he's tackled. It's like God just shows up and just starts wrestling him. And it's kind of a strange um, picture to try to imagine. But God is doing something to illustrate a reality in Jacob's life. And they start wrestling. And literally, could you imagine just sitting there all by yourself and all of a sudden you're tackled and you just start wrestling through the night? And the, the reality is, I think most of us avoid solitude. People generally don't like to be alone with their thoughts. Um, they're afraid of what might come to the surface. And so we like to distract ourselves. But I just wonder if we wouldn't just step back with some kind of consistency and just to be quiet and alone if God might not show up and tackle us in a, in a good way. Because what is at stake is really an issue of trust. Where are the issues where I am struggling? It's like I'm fighting against God. Like somehow I feel like it's up to me because I can't really trust God to do what he's promised to do. I can't really trust God to make me into who he said he created me to be. So I've got to do that. And God brings us to these places of transformation by bringing us to these places of brokenness. And one of the things that we discover whenever we get alone with God is that God never wounds us unto um, punishment or suffering for suffering's sake. It's always to bring us into a greater dependency and revelation of who he is. And so this is what happens in the story. It says, when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So think about this for a moment. I have three boys and they're all in their twenties now, but I remember I used to come home when they were little and after a long day at work and, you know, I'd get ready and open the front door. And I knew the minute I did, it was going to be game on. I was going to be It'd be Nerf guns shot at me. It'd be wrestling. It's, they're jumping on me and, until dinner. It was just going to be wrestling 101. So I'd, every night after work, I'd just like rolling around the living room floor and these three little guys jumping on me, wrestling me. And, and my wife would come in and they'd say, Mom, we're beating Dad. We're beating Dad. And I would kind of play along with it. And I'd like, oh, stop, guys. Oh, you're so strong. Oh, stop, guys. And the reality is I could have stood up at any moment and just thrown them through the window. Like at any moment, I could have just, just slammed them all on the ground. But I was just like 
strength under control. I was just wrestling with them, having fun at their level of ability. I almost wonder if that's what God was like, oh, Jacob, you're so strong, you're so strong. And then at some moment, God goes, Jacob. And he touches his hip. And his hip goes out of joint. And Jacob suddenly realizes, okay, this is no mortal. This is somebody different that I have been wrestling with. And so this is not an issue of, am I in control? This is an issue of, can I trust God with my life? And he brings Jacob to this place of revelation. And he says these words in verse 26, the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob realizes this is God. And the only way blessing is going to come to me is not because I'm grasping, not because I'm making it happen, not because I'm manipulating my circumstances and working the angles, but this is going to come from God and I'm not going to let go of God. And he grabs hold of God and he says, bless me. You're the one who has to bless me or I'll never be blessed. And then the man said, what is your name? Jacob had to answer honestly, and he had to say, I'm Jacob. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the manipulator. I'm the deceiver. I'm the one who's been trying to do all this in my own strength. And God said, that's not your name. Your name is Israel. For you have wrestled with God and man and you've overcome. You're strong in me. When you recognize where your blessing comes from, when you recognize who God is, that's when you really know who you are. See, this is who the world says I am. I'm Jacob. And God's like, now that we got that on the table, let me tell you who I created you to be. I created you to be Israel, for you have wrestled, you have fought, but you have come to this place of surrender and recognition of who I am Jacob is who I am apart from God. Israel is who I am with God in me. Remember when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you're, you know, gave him these answers. And he said, no, you, Peter, who do you say I am? And he said, you're Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, Simon. My father in heaven revealed that to you. But I call you Peter. It's like, now that you know who I am, Peter, let me tell you who you are. Like we will never know who we are until we get God in his right place in our life. But when we grab a hold of God, when we turn our face back to God, when we lay hold of him as the one who alone can bless us, it's a revelation. It reveals to us who we really are. Um, there's an interesting verse in the book of the Revelation. And the book of Revelation is an interesting book that kind of gives kind of this overarching reality that empires will rise and fall and persecution will come and go and ages will come and go. God will be faithful and Jesus has triumphed and we will triumph ultimately in him. But we can trust him. He's faithful and true through it all. And to a group of churches, Jesus was giving some really commendation and some challenges to. He was like calling them out on some things. But to one group of people in a town called Pergamum, he said these words, to those who overcome, 
I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. It's like, I don't know how this works, (laughs) if this is literal or what. But it's like, Jesus is saying, when you get to heaven, there's going to be like this little stone. Like Randy's a pretty common name, not real common anymore. It's kind of on the, you know, endangered species list as a name. And but I imagine there's going to be a lot of Randys in heaven. Imagine if God called out Randy and, you know, with all what? <laughs> you know, Maria is the most famous, uh, most popular name of all history is Maria. Um, and, and can you imagine how many Marias will be in heaven one day? And, you know, if God said, Maria, you know, multitudes of women would like, yes, God. But, but here's this little stone and only a name on it that only God knows and the one who received it. Like, there's a name that, that's unique only to who God made me to be. And God knows that name. And only God can tell you that name. And maybe you're listening to this and you're going, well, that's really great. You talk about blessings or inheritance or, or but I don't have a birthright. Um, yeah, what about a white stone one day, but... But listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing has been given to you already in the person of Jesus. The capacity to know who you are the capacity to understand what your life is to be about, the ability to trust God with it all is through Jesus Christ. In Jesus, you have been already blessed with every spiritual blessing. That means as a follower of Jesus, I don't have to strive. I don't have to be Jacob. I'm not out there grasping, manipulating, controlling deceiving, working the angles, trying to make it happen because nobody else is looking out for me. But I come to this place of surrender. Jesus, your Lord. My life is yours. I was in Israel a few years ago and one of the last things we do on our tours with Israel, trips we would take from our church is we always seem to finish the last day up on the Mount of Olives. Uh, And from that place, uh, in the morning, we would go down into the valley and we would kind of go through basically the stations of the cross and the tour would basically end at the garden tomb where we'd have communion together and focus on the resurrection of Jesus. And so we had our devotions that morning and kind of were looking out over the city and, and it's a busy place, lots of tour buses, lots of groups, lots of people selling stuff, peddling stuff and and just kind of just a lot of activity going on. And so I was standing off to the side watching our group and I looked next to me and there was this kid standing there and I, I said, hey, what's your name? And he said, my name's Wasim. And I said, Wasim, how old are you? And he said, I'm 12 or I'm 11 and tomorrow I'm gonna be 12, it's my birthday. And I said, you're kidding. I said, Wasim, I have a son named Thomas and he's 11 and tomorrow's his birthday and he's gonna be 12 tomorrow. And I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to fly home tonight. And because of the time changes, I'm going to be home on his birthday. And so the kid kind of got a smile on his face. And so I reached in my pocket and I had 20 shekels, a 20 shekel bill in my pocket. And, and it was worth at the time maybe like 
three or four American dollars. And I said, hey, tomorrow on your birthday, go get a treat. And so he took the 20 shekels and, you know, his kind of eyes got big because he's selling these little bookmarks. And, you know, they're 10 for like, you know, one shekel or something. And so I gave him just gave him 20. And he looked at me and he looked at the, and he just took off running. And he went running up above where all the kind of the buses were parked. And I saw him talking to this older guy. And they were really animated. And all of a sudden, they both turned and looked at me. And I went, oh, no, did I, like, violate culture? Did I, you know, did I fall for the old, it's my birthday trick, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden, they come walking towards me. And they got to me, and the man looked at me, and he said, did you give my son 20 shekels? And I said, yes, sir, I did. I said, it's his birthday tomorrow. My son is the same age. His birthday's tomorrow. And I just wanted to bless your son. And he said, hold out your hand. And I held out my hand. He put this little coin in my hand. He goes, you know what that is? And I said, I know exactly what that is. It was a little widow's mite coin. Because that trip, I was actually shopping widow's mites because I wanted to buy one to have as like a teaching moment. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament. And, and I was that later that day when we had some free time, I, was, I had already picked out the one. So I'd priced them. I knew what they were. And that one was probably worth about $80, $90 US dollars. That's what that condition of a widow's mite probably would have been selling for. And I looked at it and I go, that's really a beautiful coin. And I went to put back in his hand. He wrapped mine around it. And he goes, no, that's for you. I said, oh, no, I gave your son like four bucks. And this is like worth 80 bucks. And And he stopped me and he looked at me and he said, you honored my son, so I honor you. And in that moment, I felt like I heard God say to me, Randy, If you honor my son, I'll honor you. Like everything I've purposed for your life, everything I've created you to be is located in the person of Jesus. As you love Jesus, as you lean into Jesus, as you trust Jesus, as you follow Jesus as the Lord of your life, you will walk in my blessing. That's how you'll know who you are. That's where you'll know your name. That's where your life will find meaning and eternal significance in Jesus. And I just want to encourage you that I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're kicking the tires of Christianity and asking questions, or maybe you just aren't sure yet, or maybe you've been kind of nominal on the perimeter here. And can I encourage you to look to Jesus today? Because that age-old question, that longing of the human heart, Who's going to bless me? Who's going to define my life? Where does my identity come from? Who am I? What is my life about? What what gives it significance and eternal purpose? It's as it's found in the personal relationship that we have been given the opportunity for to know Jesus. And I want to pray for you. And I'm just going to ask if you pray with me that God somehow, just even by virtue of this camera and talking, um, not even knowing who will watch or who will listen to this, but you do. That God, you've already been by your Holy Spirit drawing people to your son, Jesus. And that in Jesus um, is the hope for all that's good and any potential for glory is found because of Christ in us. And God, I pray that today that there would be the grace Lord, to surrender 
Lord, instead of fighting and wrestling with you, fighting against you, struggling in our flesh, God, that we would come to a place of surrender. And like Jacob, we would hold on to you and say, God, you're the place where blessing comes from. And to find the grace to transparently confess, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is how I've tried to shape an identity and make a name for myself. I, I've tried to do this in my strength, but I surrender that. Jesus, I believe in my heart you died and rose again. And I say with my mouth what I believe in my heart. Jesus, you are Lord. The Bible says if we would believe in our heart and say with our mouth what we believe that Jesus, your Lord, we will be saved. We will enter into the life of God and the life of God in Christ will enter into us. That's the place of blessing. That's the place of secure identity. And that's the place of eternal purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.